Inspired Leadership's latest podcast. And today, our guest is Roderick Yap. So I'm looking forward to this because Roderick has some some very uh, action-based experience, so to speak. Um, Rod is an accredited coach and a specialist in developing resilience and leadership skills and also a former Royals Marine officer. He was fortunate enough to lead Marines on operations around the world, including Afghanistan in 2007 and the evacuation of civilians from Libya during the Arab Spring. And Roderick also led the recapture of the 55,000 ton MB Monte Cristo from private control or pirate control, sorry, in 2011 as part of the of a NATO counter piracy task force off the Somali coast. So he's, he's in action in a few different places and different types of action. He left the Royal Marines uh, to embark on a new career with the aim of using his experience to develop people and change organisational culture. He joined the Aranko Group, where he was responsible for assessing the level of leadership capability within the organisation and coaching leaders to create high-performance teams with a focus on delivery and execution. Now, today, Roderick brings his significant coaching experience to supporting leaders and delivering leadership development and resilience workshops across a multitude of sectors, including professional services, asset management, banking, retail, and the list goes on. And today, more importantly, he's going to bring that area of expertise to this as a guest to this podcast. Yes. All right, actually, um, it's probably easy for me to say, get my mouth around. So uh, I know your business is leadership forces. So it's sort of, and, it, and given your background within the military, mm-hmm. how do you relate? Um, I, know, I know from the past, a lot of leadership speak and, and uh, knowledge has come from the military going back many, many many decades, probably in the early 19th, 20th century, I'd, I'd imagine, even, maybe even yeah. further. But based on where we are now, where do you see modern uh, or more up-to-date leadership and how does it relate, still relate to the military? Um, so there were some, there's this sort of, there's this perspective or this view in the sort of modern leadership development world that, um, that old style of leadership was all about command and control yeah, and yeah. a modern style of leadership is all about empowerment. Um, and I, by and large, I, I do agree with that. Although I still think there is a place from time to time for a bit of command and control. Um, yeah, I agree it, with that. Time yeah. is very, very short. Yeah. Um, but this sort of concept of empowerment is something that the military has been practicing for quite a long time. Um, simply because, uh, we can't be there to make decisions for people. If I sort right. of share a story from my time in Afghanistan, the way in which we used to patrol, you know, people sort of have this idea of us kind of walking in one long continuous snake. Um, and it, it didn't really work like that. When I was there, we would have people off in sort of different areas and sort of small groups. So I have no idea what they see on the checkpoint that they've set up yeah. or the situation in front of them. So I can't afford to hold the decision-making at my level. I have to devolve it down to them. I have to give it to them. I have to empower them. Yeah. And the way in which we used to do that was largely through scenario training. Like, what would you do in this circumstance? Yeah. Let's yeah. test your thinking, those kind of yeah. things. So I think that's kind of one area. Um, I think the second one is that, and this has been around for a sort of very long time, but 
leadership in the military is something you do through your behavior. It's the way in which you, you lead by the example that you set. Um, and I think that's something that's absolutely hammered into military officers and people in a position of responsibility yeah. in the military that you lead through your behavior. So you can't have a difficult conversation with someone um, about a fitness test, for example, if it's clear that you're not particularly fit because yeah. you just undermined your authority. Yeah. Um, so that's a really big one. And then I think the last one is, and this is very much a kind of mindset view, but one of the things that I see often in, in the sort of corporate world is that people have this perception that their teams work for them. And actually in high performing organizations and in the military as well, that's flipped on its head. So the team doesn't work for you, you work for them. Your job is to help them be more successful. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean sort of, you know, wrapping them up in cotton wool, um, and it doesn't mean overly challenging them. It's kind of balancing act between the two. But fundamentally, your mindset needs to be all around, how do I set these people up for success? How do I unblock the things that get in their way? Um, you know, how do I, how do we create an environment in which they can be successful? I think if leaders ask those questions and they're on to the right track. Yeah, yeah, and I'm saying, and I, just to follow through what some of the things you're saying there, I agree with you, at times you have to, um, not wheel the stick, but, but be specific and, what, and, and be direct and, and actually give an order. It's no different to a fire warden. In the case of a fire, you listen to the, yeah. you, you don't sit there and have a committee meeting, what's the best do door to go out of? Right, you practice and you, and you follow the fire warden. No different to the military. When in battle, sometimes you might have to follow leadership, but, but as you said, more modern battle is more about being wandering around by yourself because it's more that type of fighting rather than massive hordes of army coming down on horses <laughs> with the leader following behind them, right? It's, 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 you're all scattered. And, and, and that's, that's the thing that I think the modern leader has to be able to do yeah, is right. to quickly understand the context. What's the situation I'm facing? And then, and then work out where they need to be on a sort of almost like spectrum there. So we've right. briefly sort of yeah. talked about this sort of spectrum of control. Yeah. You know, do I, do I give control to my team or do I retain it for myself and I make decisions? And I think that really good leaders have a good sense of where they naturally are on that spectrum. Yep. So I know, for example, I am naturally a bit of a control freak. It's just who I am. I have a, I guess, an inbuilt bias to believe <laughs> that everything I do is to a really high standard. Uh, and I know that's not always true. Um, and I'm kind of cognizant of that. I'm an, and I am aware of it, which means that I have to actively think about how do I create opportunities to delegate? How do I make sure that I delegate to a point of discomfort so that I'm pushing yep. responsibility down because otherwise I don't create a rich learning environment for my team and that's not what I want to do. They're the key words and the other key word you said before is that you're there to make, you're there for the purpose of helping that team be successful which is that more the yeah. modern term servant leadership. You're there to yes. serve that team, they're not there to serve you. So they're all, yeah. they're again, they're, they're just, that's modern thinking um, and it reflects purely onto, onto leadership. And one thing I always learned in the leadership on the military was you had the ability to debrief. Like something happens, you have it, then you go and debrief and you learn from it. And there again, I don't think that happens often enough in the real world. Um, 
because some leaders aren't are quite afraid to admit there's something gone wrong. So the debriefing doesn't always happen. <laughs> but, um, but equally, I think I think the value in a debrief process is, is that there's a number of things that are sort of going on. I'm comfortable with the fact that their performance is going to get pulled apart. And yep. And it's going to get challenged and you're going to get pointers on ways in which you could do things better and improve. Yeah. And it, you know, when I work with a lot of organizations now, there's a real tension around and that's largely due to the fact that people aren't really inoculated to having those difficult conversations yeah. about yeah. your performance. And I knew that, you know, from my time in the military, you know, and this works across the ranks, you know, sergeants could say to me things like, you know, um, Captain Yap, you, you could have done this differently. I think this would have led to a different outcome. They're doing it with respect, but yeah. they're telling me ways in which they think I can improve, which is massively yeah. valuable. Um, and equally, I think that it's not just about uh, looking at things that go wrong. So conducting a debrief once you failed, but like when something goes really right, when you nail something, when you land a pitch or or one of your team members does something really well or is outperforming yeah. the others, yeah. digging beneath, beneath the surface to go, like, why is that happening? Because that's happening because something is being done differently. And if we can all understand that, then maybe we can all raise our game by 10%. That's right. But, that's you know, right. learning from your wins, I think, is a really important thing as well, not just the mistakes and the errors. I lost this. Yeah, I, I agree with that because sometimes you win, but you're not sure why you won. You think you might know why you won. And it's the wrong thing, right? You need to go back and analyse what were the critical aspects that actually drove you to win that. So, yeah, understand, understand. And, and even like, you know, you know, I'm like you, I sort of pitch for work. I'm, I'm out there trying to win clients. Yeah. And, you know, once the client relationship has sort of been built after a period of time, you can go back to someone and say, look, when we first met, why me? Why my organisation? What, what were the kind of key messages yeah. that came across that made you decide to make a commitment here um i find it fascinating because sometimes there are things that you had totally totally uh, um, underestimated the value of um, yeah, yeah. you know really simple stuff like maybe you know maybe it was the way that you interacted with someone that wasn't in a particularly authoritative position oh by the way you know the the hr administrator mentioned that you were really easy to work with um yeah. and, and you know made it made it easy for her to do her job that actually yeah. made a really big difference to us. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's yeah, just yeah I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I've, I've had that feedback one, oh, uh, once when the um, person said to me that the receptionist who this per, uh, person valued her opinion yeah. said, oh, there's a really nice guy. He's really, really friendly. Like, he, he, because I interacted and just mm. treated her as a person, not just the receptionist. And can, can I have this meeting? Can I get that meeting, right? So little subtlety sometimes, or that might even be badly, like I love the colour of your suit. <laughs> Things you never know till you find out, you're right. But it's, yeah. it's uh, you just never know. And that's like, that's a lot about leadership. Um, never assume anything. A hundred percent. And it's difficult, you, you know, you, there's, a, there's a sort of shadow that we all kind of create yeah. through our leadership behaviour. And sometimes that's very deliberately crafted. You know, you're trying to create an impression of, you know, where, where people like and trust you. Everyone wants to be liked and trusted, I think. Yeah. Um, but I remember being, you know, in, in a base in Afghanistan, in the sort of main base, um, what was Camp Bastion, before we would go, before we went forward to the operating locations. 
And I basically set up my sort of, I was one of the early, the first people into the sort of base. I set up my stuff kind of in amongst the lads. And then when the officers sort of came in, they sort of set up an officer's mess and sort of, and I remember thinking, I just can't be bothered to move all of my stuff to the other side of this massive camp. Yeah. Um, because it's just, it's just, I'm just going to have to move in kind of two days. Mm. And it was years later, someone said to me, oh, you won so much credit for, by staying in amongst the lads there. Yeah. I was like thinking, yeah. the officer's mess wasn't nicer. It was still a cot bed in the desert. But, uh, you know, my, my sort of laziness at not wanting to kind of move yeah. uh, yeah. won me some, some praise. So it's you know, things that you don't it, even it, understand. You're a man of the people, Rob. Man yeah, of the people. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take yeah, it. take it. That's right. <laughs> things, things happen for different reasons sometimes. But, exactly. Uh, yeah, you never, you never assume. That's right. And just on that, um, that aspect of getting back to the aspect of servant leadership. Mm-hmm. So how do you um, see that uh, in the future? Like, how do you see that? Do you come across that as more of a what's happening with leaders now? I lo- a lot of leaders talk about it, but as the point you made before, no point telling someone that they're not fit if you've got a massive, massive stomach protruding and you can't see your belt because you don't have any credibility. Now, mm. it doesn't mean you have to be, if you've got an engineer working for you, you don't have to be the best engineer, but you've got to earn the respect. And, yeah. and I, I guess um, that's probably the key, but you've got to walk that talk. Mm. You talk about servant leadership or this or that, but you've actually got to behave that way. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so how do you, um, uh, what's the word now? I guess it's, how do you adopt or try to connect with leaders now um, to get them to do that? I mentioned, you mentioned about behaviours. Do you tend to focus on the behaviours, um, the doing words, as I say? So I do focus a lot on behaviours um, because I think it's, it's what you do that counts. Um, that has an impact, not what, not what you know someone necessarily says. Um, you can do that in a kind of in a number of ways. Um, firstly, one of the sort of common things that I do in my leadership workshops is is get people to talk about someone that has inspired them. Um, could be a teacher, could be an early boss, could yeah. be a parent, and get them to connect the fact that it was what that person did that inspired. They did, them. yeah. Um, and then I sort of, you know, I just kind of highlight that, look, you know, good leaders are people that inspire us and are there when the chips are down and are not and are willing to kind of get their hands dirty when it's required, you know, things, there are, there are jobs that, you know, they, they don't believe that are kind of untouchable. And then you, so you get them to sort of think about that and then you get them to the kind of reverse the question, what does awful leadership look like? And you kind of balance it carefully by getting them to tell us a few stories. And the kind of outputs of that are, are, are not what good leadership looks like from my perspective, but it's what good leadership looks like from their perspective, their perspective kind of yeah. shining the mirror back on them. Yeah. And that, that shifts people's thinking because they're like, oh, I, I never really sort of thought about it that way because I don't want to tell people what good looks like for, with my experience. I want them, yeah. to, them to say because what they're much like. more likely to sign up to the behaviors that they've gone, do you know what, these are the kind of common things because I'm just saying, look, you, you, guys, you guys have told me all this stuff. Yeah. This now starts to become the sort of, foundation for your competency framework and all these kind of things yeah, that we yeah. sort of talk about further down the line the other side of it is getting them to realize that you know who do you interact with when you go into an organization i did this recently with a sort of hotel um when you go into uh, a hotel 
you probably never ever meet the chief executive or the head of that organization unless something catastrophic goes wrong the interaction you have is with the person at the front desk with a concierge with a person who takes your order for dinner or the barman so your interaction is based on the positive interaction that you have with those individuals now if those individuals at the sort of lowest level of that organization feel trusted, empowered, feel that they're looked after and are happy and engaged in what they do, they are far more likely to give that individual a better experience. That's right. And so many times people go, oh my God, I've never thought about it like that. It's like, yeah, your number one focus is to improve the performance of those people, to support and challenge them, to give them clarity around what they're meant to focus on. and to sort of leverage their intellectual horsepower to kind of get the best out of them. Um, If you do that and you're in a sort of service facing industry, I'm using the hotel as an example there, then your performance as an organization is gonna go through the roof because how someone feels about a business and an organization is all based on the interactions that they have with the people in there. And it doesn't take long for people to go, oh my God, that's completely changed the way I thought about leadership and the way I've thought about my role, and the way I've thought about myself. Um, and so that's, that's, where, that's where you sort of, you, you draw the parallels between the kind of military self to lead approach and where there's a really strong business imperative. Because, you know, you can, you can get let down by an organization. That happens all the time. You know, yeah, you, know yeah. you have an expectation, it fails to be met. But, you know, if someone turns around to you and goes, I apologize that, you know, it's taken us an hour to cook your main meal. We'll give you a really hefty discount off the drinks bill. You turn around and go, oh, fair enough, mate. Yeah, all right, okay. There's no damage done there to the relationship. Um, But again, that that requires the individual to have the empowerment to be able to make those decisions and to make those calls and not just take 5% off, but but make it something that really shifts the needle for the individual. Um, So I think these things are all sort of, you know, loosely connected, but that's one way that I... Made, yeah. it, made it clear in business. And I ask that question because I, um, I was thinking of a few other things while you were saying that. Many years ago, I used to see this cartoon type character where leadership is not, and you'd have all these people pulling a, a rock, and the leader would be standing on the rock whipping them, right? Mm. That's the old style leadership in this, in this particular instance. And it says that a leader should lead from the front. So it then has the leader in the front pulling him along in the rock and at the end of the day it's not that either because just exactly what your example is is not leading from the front if it was then the general manager of the hotel bit the front for welcoming people come in <laughs> but they're not so it's still leading from behind the mm-hmm. scenes but the vision it's the vision that they see is in front not the physical person and the and the empowerment for people to reach and work towards that corporate goal or vision that they have in their brand that they want to operate under and they're all connected to. So that's there, but it, but they're in the back and letting people do that. And I guess the same in the military. Um, I, I guess if the person in charge was walking down the front, they'll get bumped off first and that's all blows the whole thing up, right? You've got to be spreading out. And, and, and there are... There are plenty of historical examples where, where people have done that and people have hey. been far too far forward. And, you know, ultimately the enemy is sort of, you know, not to, not to overuse the metaphor, but kind of cut off the head of your organization. Hey. Now there are standards right. and processes in place to kind of get around that, but that, that's ultimately not what you want to do. 
Um, I mean, instinctively, when I see those really sort of simple things that, you know, generate lots of likes and so on and so forth on LinkedIn, I find that they are really simplistic ways of understanding a sort of complex world. Um, And I think you're right. You know, I, I think that there are plenty of leaders out there who aren't performing because they're trying to do the job of their team. Um, you know, they were promoted because they were a good team member, but no one ever teaches them how to lead that team. So they just get on with doing more of what they were doing already. And the sort of the team kind of gets left to its own devices. Yeah. Um, the best example I've, I've heard that most people can relate to is that you, you get promoted because you're good at playing the instrument, but your job now is to conduct the orchestra. That's right. And that's, that's a different that's right. job. It's a different job. And it's and it's, it's so completely true. different. Um, and it's hard at that first level because those people who were your friends, they're now, you know, they're, they're now the people that work for you. That's right. And that's yeah. why I think that first step is actually the hardest. And if you look at where executive development and education is focused, it's at the very top of the pyramid rather than at, at, at often your that's first right. line managers, which yeah, is a shame, so, I think. Uh, and you're right. And look, to me, that's, that's probably the most critical aspect of leadership standards and competencies going forward is the, the focus should be on those supervisors and the ground. I mean, sure, the focus is up, up but they should start there and work with them as they go up the line rather than start at the top and then try to work back. I mean, it's like, let them all, let them fall over the hill at some point. But the key is for sustainability, we've got to develop these younger people coming through and stick with them to grow them to become the leaders we want them to become. And that's where all, most of the effort should go rather than the end. Because those people, yeah, sure, they can be coached and be helped. No problem with that. But a lot of the money and time should be going into development of the supervisors. And I think they miss out. It's starting to filter the middle management, but it's not getting much further. So I think the military recognise that, no doubt. Well, they do. I mean, you know, the, the sort of the, you know, and the, the military is different. I, I kind of get that. But, you know, they invest heavily right up the front in teaching people how to do things properly um, and putting them in a very challenging and demanding environment to help them kind of learn and grow. Yeah. Um, and lots of organizations kind of don't really sort of think like that. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting, you know, the, the Air Force doesn't, doesn't recruit any pilots. Yeah, it trains some of the best pilots in the world because it, yeah. take, cause it yeah. understands the difference between, you know, potential and experience. You know, yeah. potential relates to someone's ability to be taught and their attitude. And you, you, can't, you can't build attitude into someone. They've got to have it there at the start. Um, and I think that for organizations that are looking for an edge, if they can genuinely work out ways in which they can recruit people who've got the right attitude, um, and high levels of emotional intelligence, they'll be able to turn their hand to anything that they're asked to do. Oh, um, I agree with that. And, and that, that's what you want going forward. Million dollar question, million dollar uh, statement there, Rod. <laughs> At the end of the day, they all, most of them talk about that, but it, having it happen and making it happen is the difficult thing. It just doesn't seem to happen. And I don't know whether it's because the, the recruiters aren't always at, with the right attitude or what they see as attitude is not necessarily what is needed for the attitude. I mean, it, it's very hard to quantify it or 
specify because the people are ambiguous. They're not black and white. They are very grey. And and to me, the yeah. greatest attribute of any leader is they, they can handle the ambiguity of people. First and foremost, they can't handle that and forget it, right? Um, so that's the, you know, the understand the idiosyncrasies of people, et cetera, et cetera. I think because of that, it makes it hard then to pick the attitude. Is this the right attitude? <laughs> because it's, you're not sure the actual, I guess, scenarios are going to happen. You've got a bit of an idea. Military is a bit, probably a bit more identifiable to some point, maybe. I don't know. Um, mm. But it's to me, that's where the challenge lies. And I, I totally agree with you. If you could get that right, and there again, then follow those people through, it becomes far more sustainable. But it just doesn't seem to happen that often. Not. I no. haven't seen it happen that much. And the military's probably closer to it. I don't know whether they've perfected that. I don't know, right? Don't know the military. You haven't been in the military, so I'm not sure. I think I think they generally they they generally get that you kind of if you want to, you, you've got to sort out the lowest level of the yeah. pyramid yeah. Um, yeah. first. You know the lessons that someone. It's a bit like you know. It's a, it's a bit like you know with with dogs and, and children as well. You know, the younger they are, the easier some of those lessons are to learn. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're dealing with someone that ultimately has been successful in spite of some of their behaviors, yeah, that can yeah. be very, very difficult very to hard, unpick yeah. and untrain. Because at the end of the day, they've got this voice in the back of the head that says, look, what the hell do you know? At the end of the day, I'm the boss of this organization. Because yeah, and I, this work, I, and it's worked out. Yeah. And my view is like, yeah, but you could be a lot better. And yeah. actually, the damage you're doing inside the organization isn't isn't ideal as well um, yeah, through some yeah. of the behaviors and so on and so forth yeah, so i think yeah. you're right focus on that that first layer get that right um and then it makes everything yeah it makes everything easier in the long term all, all sounds easy but <laughs> we sit here and talk about it like <laughs> but when you when you look at the uh engagement employee engagement figures i think the last one i saw was uh gallup again 85 percent of people uh, aren't really actively engaged in their workplace, so no. it's a bit sad. But there again, that's that, that's what helps us and gives me the energy to keep moving forward and trying to make that eighty-four, eighty-three, eighty-two. <laughs> because yeah, I'm, I'm think, with you in that. I'm with you you in got that. the passion. Yeah, it's it's just one per. If you can change one person at a time to be see the light and become that better leader, and you hit it on the head before. Mm having the person tell you what they believe it makes it a good leader. And I've never had anyone really be wrong with that when they really think mm. about it. They might have different perspectives if they don't think about it in their head, but when they sit back and really yeah. feel it, feel what they felt like, et cetera, et cetera, they tend to get it reasonably close with the main, the big, play, the, the big points you need to be doing. And then mm. the question is then, do they really want, want to be a leader or they don't? And I've seen people change their leadership style purely on that basis and others don't because they haven't got the discipline because they just don't want it that bad enough. It's they just it's too hard. They just, you know, so. But that's the thing, you know, that's what, I, and my view is that look, that's, that's why you get paid the big bucks for a leadership that's right, It's because you take on more responsibility, you have a wider remit, but also you have to work out ways in which you change your behavior. You have to, 
you have to be clear that you're on your own self-development journey and I think be open and willing to kind of share that um, because no one is the finished article. I, again, like, you know, leadership, I do think large parts of it, relatively simple, but simple doesn't mean it's easy. No, that's um, right. That's right. You know, like, <laughs> business is relatively simple as well. You know, more money needs to come in than it goes out. Um, relatively simple doesn't make it easy. <laughs> that's right. I just, when I was telling you that, I was just, mentioned something a client of mine popped into my head uh, a client a few years back because when he did that exercise that's why i was pleased you brought that up because it's bringing my memory back when he did the exercise he tried so hard to 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 live up to what he said a good leader does but after a couple of months he came we we were having chats he looked at me in the eye and says you know what i don't like doing this it's too hard so and he had, he had about 15,000 people under his remit. He headed a global division of a large company. And for him to admit that, so he said, well, I said, what's your choice? He said, well, I really should not be doing this job because I know what I've got to do to be a good leader and I just don't damn well want to do it because I don't like the ambiguity of people. Everything was black and white for him. So he was more comfortable just doing a particular role, which he was where he come from, business development. And he was a genius at it, with one one assistant. Yeah. And the company then put him back in his old role, and he sent me a note about a year later saying, "Thank you, Ross. You're the first person that's made me think about my life like I, like that happened, because I realised I'm only doing myself damage. I want to go back to what I love, not going to the leadership position where everyone aspires to and the extra money and you know all these other reasons." But when he yes. assessed himself and be true to himself, he went back to doing what he loved doing. That's, it's, and then, you know, he fits now into the category of individual that's engaged in what they do. And that's right. I think, he, you know, that's, that's, that's great. That's brilliant. That's, that's right. Great exactly outcome. right. But see, too many, um, and that's some of the reason why leaders get in that leadership so poor sometimes because people go there for the wrong reasons. Yeah. They go there because yeah. of a high paycheck or the fact that it's the ego or the position. And it's the fact that I've got an expense account, I do travel. It's, it's not the fact I want to become a leader and get the best out of these people. That's the difference. Mm. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where the challenge lies. So and look, I on think, that, you know, yeah, I think, I think right, the right organisations are clear that you, you should, we should, this is an interesting question, isn't it? Like, how do we create the space for people to progress, even if they don't want to be in leadership positions? Because some people don't, and that's okay. Um, that's okay. I noticed actually someone someone shared this with me. Sorry, I know you. I know you yeah. live in Singapore. They yeah. said that one of the reasons that Singapore has the best education system in the world is because people can deeply specialize in in certain areas of the curriculum, and you know, go into policy roles to advance how students learn things like mathematics. And if I contrast that with other nations like the UK, the only career progression really for a teacher is kind of head of department, headmaster, uh, headmistress. Um, and I just think that, that actually the, the way in which you create space for people who don't want to be leaders, like that's equally as important as the that's effort right. you put into, into getting the best out of your leaders. That's exactly um, right. And I've got actually a, a, client, a client's doing that now has two, okay. two, um, two tracks to run on, a leadership track 
or an expert track. So people who don't want to be leaders can follow the track. So the gradings aren't different. So as long as you get the best gradings because you're in the leadership role, you can be pretty equal in the gradings, depending on your experience, etc., by being an expert at what you do, right? Um, because they recognise that to yeah. people to get on have to go into a leadership role and be forcing people who don't want to be there, like this example I was giving, right? <laughs> it was the natural progression that he he bucked the system, and which you need to do because he was true to himself. So um, look, on this note, I guess looking at the time, we've been we're probably close to the end of our podcast tonight. Look, it's it's been great chatting with you, Rod. It's um, I've enjoyed it because it's a different perspective, and yet it's the same perspective. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm just, yeah. but I'm just hearing myself saying it. But it's it's a different perspective on leadership, um, but it's the same perspective on leadership. If you know what I mean, it's just the context is different. And to me, I've, I've learned quite a bit tonight. Just understanding how the military is now looking in the future and evolving because at the end of the day, leadership a, is a powerful tool within within the military. If, if you've got poor leadership, it's, it's not really, it's not going to be pleasant, is it? So, uh, not just people having an unhappy life, but the ramifications are quite dangerous. So, it, it sort of focuses on getting the best out of the leaders. Uh, so, it was a good learning and I hope uh, our listeners have all enjoyed uh, Yes, thanks very much, Ross.